Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. So this message series is called Take a Stand, and yes, that is William Wallace from Braveheart, which is Mel Gibson, but I enjoy that movie in regards to being willing to take a stand in something that he believed in and something that he believed for. Um, and that's really what it is. And the staple verse that we're going to use is actually Romans 1.16, and it comes from the Passion Translation. And it says, I refuse to be ashamed of the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved, the Jew first and the people everywhere. And the reason why I use the Passion Translation is because the second word is refuse. Now, I'm a little hard-headed and stubborn in some areas of my life, almost all of them, but I agree with that word right there because I refuse to be ashamed. I refuse to be quiet. I refuse to no longer act when I should act out of love and out of grace and out of mercy and out of kindness. I refuse to turn away from God. I refuse to stop sharing the gospel. And that's why we're gonna use this because what I wanna have is I wanna have a fearless faith as a Christian. I wrote down this morning, we as Christians need to live out our faith and we need to be unapologetic of the gospel, unapologetic. There's no reason to be sorry for it. I believe a lot of us as Christians are afraid to speak up. We need to be strong in our faith and not back down where the world tells us to. And I think that's a lot of what has happened and is happening right now is we are being asked to be quiet. We are being asked not to act. We are being asked to turn the cheek. And I think that we've done that. I think that I've done that. I'm not, out, I'm not out sharing the gospel. I'm not out sharing the good news. I'm not out sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Instead, I'm complaining of the situation that I'm in or we're in or the areas of my life that could be better that I'm not happy with. You see, we need to change that perspective. And as we talked about last week, having thankfulness, and we need to take a stand. One of the things that I think are around us 24-7 that we can tend to disregard as Christians is spiritual warfare. And that's something that we're going to actually talk about today. That's actually the only thing that we're going to talk about today. Because in my, in my life, early on as a Christian, if I didn't understand something, it was easier for me to act like it didn't exist and to disregard it and to kind of shove it to the side. And I only wanted to focus on the things that applied to me that I liked and I enjoyed rather than really listening and looking at the things that were all around us and all accompanying us, us all the time. And that's exactly what spiritual warfare is. It's all around us 24-7 each and every single day. The best way that I could think of uh, to explain spiritual warfare is a battle, 
a war. Typically, a war is fought over territory or political power or economic power. And I think you can see that right now, can't you? You turn on the media, you turn on the news, you see stuff all across the world. Right now, there's a huge struggle for power and territory. That's what it is. That's spiritual warfare. And what spiritual warfare is doing is it's, it's fighting and buying and it's fighting for your soul. It's attacking us. It's coming at us. It's surrounding us. It's temptation. It's desire. It's the flesh. Our soul was created by God and he created you for a reason. He created all of us for a reason, didn't he? He created us to know him and to experience his love. He created you to love others as you love yourself. He created us to use our skills and talents for kingdom expansion around the world and to point people back to him. You see, rather than fighting each other, we have a common enemy together and that common enemy is Satan. It's the devil. The devil is an enemy to God and to all of God's people, every single one of us. The devil is committed to preventing people from knowing God. And we read in the Bible, his sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age, and the God of this age is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, I want to replace that word, unbelievers, with everybody. And I want to replace that word with everybody because that's what we tend to do as Christians. When we want to disregard something, we just kind of put it aside. And when we put something aside, we don't realize or understand exactly what it is. We're blinded to the situation, aren't we? We don't realize what's going on around us. We don't realize really what's coming at us, what's attacking us, or why it's happening. The war has been evident since the creation of time, since, since man and woman. The devil is the craftiest thing amongst the earth. The devil pretends to be your friend. He pretends to be your ally. The devil manipulates the word of God to deceive you. The devil attempts to place doubt in your heart and in your mind about the truth of God. The devil wants to resist God's protection by telling you that you can have all the desires of your heart which we have went over the last few weeks and said that is totally untrue. The devil urges us to take control of our lives through our will and our pride, which we know is to be arrogant and wrong. The devil uses fear and shame to turn us against each other, which we can see time and time and time again. And through all of these things, we're drifting further away from the presence of God. Further. Luke 21, verses 10 through 11. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation, the kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But nothing, nothing can be stronger than bringing Christians united in prayer. United in prayer. And that's what we have the power of. That's what we can do. The causes, the things that come at us in this world, the things, I've heard people say, why does God bring cancer? God doesn't bring cancer. God doesn't bring cancer. God doesn't bring sickness and illness. 
God doesn't kill people. God wants the best for people. But I'm going to tell you right now that God works through situations like that. God is evident in situations like that. God uses those situations. The causes and problems of this world are not of God. They are satanic. Our own abilities, our own government, our own world powers, councils cannot fix or remedy the daily attack of the devil. If we're going to try and do it out of our, our, our own will, it will not be done. But we have a spiritual weapon that is greater than our human abilities to handle the spiritual war. And I think that's what we spent a lot of time the last few weeks talking about. It's just a whole bunch of weapons, the way that God has equipped us, the things that he's given us. You see, because we can fight back. So my only point today is prayer. One point. Because prayer is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I kind of think of it as like the bat line. Anyone watch Batman like in the 70s or I don't even know when that was, 80s? Yes, you did, Courtney. You're like 56. So in this, in this situation where the police officers and the commissioner and everybody are talking because there's an issue going on and they always re reach for this bright red phone and they call it the bat line. And they grab this phone and boom. They either get the butler or they get Batman, possibly Robin. But it was a direct line. And that's what prayer is. Prayer for us is a direct line of communication between us and God. And why are we calling him? Why are we seeking him? Why are we asking for him? Because we want his intervention, don't we? We want him to come. We want, we want his fix, don't we? But more than anything, we want his perspective. We want his heart. We want to know how to handle a situation as how he would handle it, correct? In James 4, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many times have we been caught in a situation of sin that we probably shouldn't be doing something, but rather than really think about what God's thinking or call out on the name of Jesus, we think it's so difficult that we actually take place or take part in the sin and have shame later on. But if we read James, all we have to do is call upon his name and in one moment that devil will leave. That devil will leave. Well, it doesn't really work for me. I've done it before and it didn't really work. Why didn't it work? Because our heart really wasn't calling for Jesus. Our heart was calling for the flesh, but our mind was calling for Jesus. Our hearts and minds need to be aligned with Christ. We need to equip ourselves with the armor of God, don't we? And to seek God in prayer, to stop the devil in his tracks, he will not ruin our lives, he will not ruin this great nation, and he will not rule this world. And I wanna do everything that I possibly can, whether it's physically or spiritually, to stop, to stop. I'm tired of turning on the news and seeing war. I'm tired of turning on the news and, and seeing how we're all fighting against each other or how we're all name-calling each other. The spiritual warfare that we deal with, is, it's taking over in our political parties, our federal government, our state and local government, and it's pitting them against each other. It's pitting them against each other. 
rather than coming together to make the world change that they intended to do in the first place because Pastor Dwayne talked about that. What's the same thing? What do Christians and politicians have in common? They both set out to make a change in the world, don't they? But somewhere along the line, that gets skewed, doesn't it? The devil has created unrest in which we name call, we argue, we bicker over insignificant points and materialistic desires rather than focus on the world that literally is on the brink of disaster. There's constant blame. There's finger pointing rather than looking in the mirror and seeing who the real culprit of the problem is. Because we don't want to put our pride down. We don't want to put our will down. We don't want to put our agenda down. We don't want to put down our ulterior motives, do we? Because we want our will to be done. The war we fight is not brother against brother, not sister against sister, not country against country, and not church against church. I love Billy Graham. I got that part from Billy Graham. Love him. Because that's exactly what's happening. Rather than coming together and being united in a situation and moving forward together, instead we want to fight with each other. Why are we fighting with each other? Because we're deceived. Why are we deceived? Because we're blinded. Why are we blinded? Because we don't want to realize what the true problem is. Church against church. Yeah, I said it. Churches fight. You see, the devil works as well. He stirs up the church, stirs up people's hearts, stirs up their desires, stirs up their agendas. We've watched him stir up constant unrest. Constant unrest. Virus threats, racial tensions, executive orders, religious wars, terrorist threats, mask mandates, vaccination options, labor disturbances, drastic economy fluctuations is constant confusion. Constant. We don't know what way is up or down or left or right. If we don't know what direction we're even going, we definitely don't know what's right and wrong, do we? You see, we need to stop blaming this person and that person and realize that we need to unite and take a stand against the real common enemy. The common enemy, spiritual warfare. Who's the head of that? Satan. And nothing but the power of prayer will meet the needs of this world. Nothing. I told Megan, Abby, and Katie in our staff meeting this week, I said, ah, this, I only got one point this week. It's going to be really quick. We'll be done by 10 o'clock. There ain't no way we're going to be done by 10 o'clock. When I, when I, I don't know why, but when I sit here, I just, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach since Pastor Dan's been on sabbatical. One, so that he could be away and get rest with Emily. That's very, very, very important, not only for them and their health and the well-being of them, but also for our church. But two, just for my growth, for the opportunity to be able to learn more, to dive in, to spend time. It's challenged me, but I naturally want to share it with everybody because I'm pretty sure the things that I read are never been said before, and it's obviously got to be the best ever, right? Wrong. But I've got some points on prayer. What is prayer? The life of Jesus was intended to give us an example of a life to follow and a life to learn from, wasn't it? 
When facing adversity, Jesus did not use his power to fix situations, which he easily could have. Rather, he showed us the need for prayer, didn't he? He showed it to us. When Jesus was exhausted or burdened, he knew that it was time for spiritual refreshment with his Father. And we read that in Luke 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And prayed. Jesus would slip away to pray. Jesus recognized his need for his Father. Jesus tapped into the power, perspective, and purpose that only is found in God's presence. Prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that we have been given here on, on earth as human beings. One of, not the only, one of. Looking back on the last two years living in the present and trying to look forward to the future, it's never been more important for Christians to be on our knees, is it? It's important. I've heard people say before that praying is not always easy. It's not easy for them. Where do I start? What do I do? How do I do it? We see in the Bible that it wasn't easy for the disciples either. They felt the same way. They come to Jesus and ask Jesus how to pray. They heard him pray with confidence, with boldness and power that they had never seen before. They've never laid their eyes, never heard anything. The prayers were so bold that it was as if God himself was listening to every word that came from Jesus' mouth. There was a direct line of communication. It was evident. They could see it. They could feel it. They could hear it. It was tangible to the disciples. They wanted to know how to do it. I want to pray like this. In Matthew 5, we read about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it stretches all the way into Matthew 7. But in Matthew 6, we hear Jesus' response as to how to pray. 6, 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, your will be done. On earth it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one. Jesus responds with that. Many Christians know the Lord's Prayer, don't we? I mean, growing up, I didn't really... I didn't go to church, I didn't know the Lord, but I seen the Lord's Prayer on people's walls. I seen it on places in restaurants. I seen it even in my school. It became one of those things that you kind of had to say, you kind of had to memorize, you had to do it, but you didn't really understand why or what it was even saying. It shouldn't be a ritualistic prayer, but rather an example as to how we should pray as Christians. So how do we pray? Well, good, thank you, Wayne, for asking. How do we pray? What do we do? Where do we start? How do we begin? I think we have to know who we're talking to. We really have to realize whose presence we are truly in. It's a prayer. It's a conversation with God, isn't it? Our Heavenly Father, the one who we want to have a personal relationship with, I come to him sometimes as Jesus I come to him as Father. I come to him as Lord and Savior. I come to him as Holy Spirit. He's all of those things. He's all of those things and more. But I'm understanding, right, of the presence and the situation and where I'm at and who I'm talking to. We just need to understand who we're talking to. Understand the sovereignty Understand the holiness of God and what he's capable of doing. We have to be thankful. We have to have thankfulness. I talk about thankfulness so much. 
I feel like sometimes I just want to punch my own face. (laughs) But we talk about it a lot. Why? Because I'm going to tell you it's an area, it's a struggle in my life. I need to be thankful for all things. When praying to God, we want to know who we're praying to, but we also want to come to him with thankfulness. We want to have a thankful heart. I have four kids. I want want the best for my children. I want to give them not everything that they want, but I want to give them everything that I possibly can. Now, what parent doesn't want to do that? That's what God wants to do for us. So come under that. Come under the, the thankful heart, recognizing and realizing what he's truly given us, what he's truly given you. I think it's easy to forget that. And I'm reminded of it often because I I wrote down last night, answered prayers, impossible situations that have been overcome, healings that we have seen or experienced or heard of, the immeasurable amount of grace that he has in my life. That is growing my faith. That is growing my thankfulness too. Because I'm able to look back and see him evident and see him working in every aspect of my life. This is a tough one. When you're praying, ask for his will, not for your own. Ask for his will to be done, not our will to be done. The Lord's Prayer is not the only place where Jesus role modeled the heart of obedience and submission to the will of God over his own desires and needs, is it? Because he was in the garden only hours before he was gonna be crucified and Jesus would once again pray, not my will be done, but your will be done. Your will. In a world where right and wrong are frequently confused, it can be hard to know how to pray or what to ask for when difficult situations arise in our lives. But the one thing that we can with absolute certainty know is that God's plan for those who love him is good. And it's the safest place we can be is in the center of his will and not our own. Not our own. I'm skipping a point. We're running out of time. Ask for forgiveness. And this is, this is being humble, isn't it? This is, this is realizing that Hey, Rich, you're not perfect. Hey, you made a mistake. Hey, this situation needs to be corrected. Ask for forgiveness. Realize what you've done. Realize the situation that you're in. Realize how you possibly hurt somebody. Realize how you came across in a scenario. Recognize it for what it is and then ask for forgiveness. James 5, verse 16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Our hearts need to be right with God and our hearts should be right with each other. They need to be right with each other. You know, when I I pull in the driveway at church or anywhere I want to go, I don't want to pull in and have this huge feeling of animosity like I might see so-and-so here and I don't want to deal with their 
garbage today. I don't want that. I want to be able to pull down the driveway or in a parking lot and go into a store or any situation in our kids' school, wherever I go, outside of the basketball court, I want to go there and I want to know that things are good. We're not always going to see eye to eye. We're not always going to see eye to eye, but just because we don't see eye to eye doesn't mean we hate each other. There's times where I'm praying and I'm asking for forgiveness and, and I'll tell you, there's times where I feel like I'm, I'm not getting anything back. Like it's quiet. Well, why is it quiet? When it's quiet, I know that I need to do a heart check. When things are silent, I know that I need to do a heart check. What are you holding on to? Is there unforgiveness somewhere in your heart? Is there something that you're holding on to? Is there a grudge? Is there bitterness? Is there hate? Is there frustration? Are you harboring something inside that doesn't necessarily have to be yesterday, it doesn't have to be a week ago, it doesn't have to be a month ago, there could be something inside that you're holding on to that's 27 years old. I know it. I know it. I shared with you guys, I didn't talk to my dad for almost 17 years. 17 years. I have friends that their fathers have passed away and they have said they would do absolutely anything to get their dad back. My dad lived two and a half hours south of here and I didn't talk to him for 17 years. What for? What for? So when we're praying, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Pray the word of God. This is huge. My wife is teaching me this. It's fantastic. She's a spiritual prayer warrior. I love to listen to her pray because every need or situation, she speaks scriptures of God's promise. She speaks them. She's bold. She knows the promise in which God has for us. She knows it and she repeats it. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The sword. You want to be a bad man, wield that sword. Right? Wield that sword. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Jesus used the word when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, didn't he? I know that Jesus could have knocked his socks off. He could have. Boom, like that. That quick, that simple, that easy. But what did he do instead? He used the word of God to get the devil to flee. And I think that he used the word to God to get the devil to flee because he wanted to give us an example of what we are truly capable of doing here on earth. Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Oh, this is probably the toughest one. And as soon as I said that, I probably lost 90% of the people in here. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's hard. We are distracted. We do have a lot of things going on in our lives. This is not 
usually a priority on our priority list, is it? But it's important. It's impactful. It's powerful. I believe one of the most important parts of a powerful prayer life is to understand our spiritual power and authority in and through Christ, and that comes from his word, and it comes from us repeating his word. We read it in the gospel that the only way to know and to be in tune with him and to come alongside of him in relationship and intimacy and closeness is to know his word, to know the gospel. Just a few minutes a day and his word will add strength, authority, and confidence to your prayer. How many of us really do that? Notice how I'm not raising my hand. Nintendo came out. I don't even know what year that was. Now, it wasn't just Mario Kart and Duck Hunt, although I did like those games. Bionic Commando was out. Contra. Contra was out. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, select, start. That code right there gave you infinite lives in Contra. Why can I remember a passcode to a video game for infinite lives, but I can't remember scripture that will give me eternity in heaven? Why not? Sixth grade, French class. I can say the Pledge of Allegiance in French. I'm probably going to tank it, but I'll try it. Jean-Gache, ma fidélité, au drapeau, des États-Unis d'Amérique, et à la République qu'il représente, une nation sous deux avec liberté et justice pour tous. I love our country. I love America. I love the United States. I can remember something from sixth grade that really doesn't have a huge significance, zero impact in my life. Why can I not remember scripture? We send our kids to Northern Michigan Christian in McBain. Part of their curriculum is memorizing scripture. It's like kicking a dead dog sometimes. But it's important. And don't tell me you can't memorize scripture when you can remember 7,000 words from an eight and a half minute song or every moment from a cartoon, right? So where does memorizing scripture line up with the priorities in our lives? It's so important, and it is so powerful. You see, Jesus was the perfect example on how to fight against spiritual warfare. He was the perfect example. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus faced spiritual warfare in many forms. He was tested by the devil during his 40 days in the wilderness. He was provoked, falsely accused, verbally abused by people who did not like what he was saying. But Jesus never lost a spiritual battle. Even his wrongful conviction and execution on the cross, which looked like bitter defeat, was ultimately his greatest victory. And I truly believe with all my heart that that came because he spent time in prayer with his Father. Amen? So Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning. We come to you in prayer. We come to you joyful. We come to you happy. We come to you excited. Why? Because you have given us something that we don't always harness, we don't always take advantage of, we don't always utilize. And that's the power of prayer. 
And in this battle that's surrounding us on a daily basis, and this battle that is vying for our souls and trying to take us each and every moment it possibly can, you have given us something so strong and so powerful. Work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our daily, our daily activities, Lord. In which we are remembered of times and situations in which we need to come to you and come to you alone. And it doesn't have to be times of hurt or guilt or shame, but it can become times of celebration and joy, Lord. Let us not forget or get so preoccupied that we forget to come to you in prayer, that we forget to have that that connection with you, that intimate moment with you, that we can come alongside of you and grow with you and, and be taught by you and to have communication with you, Lord. We love you and we give you thanks. Amen. So as we talk about spiritual warfare, and we see a little bit about what it is and how we can fight it. What part are you playing in it? What part are you playing in it? And as we read from Ephesians 6, to put on the armor of God, he is speaking directly to us. He is telling us what to do and how to do it. We need to be strong. We need to put on his armor. We need to take a stand. We need to wrestle. We need to fight. We need to overcome. Take up your sword and pray with every ounce of perseverance that you have. I think prayer will lead to a revival. We preached on that a few months ago in the story of Jonah. You want to see revival? You want to, you want to see a situation like Nineveh, the greatest revival in human history? Come together as brothers and sisters. Come together as Christians. Come together as churches and fight the common enemy. Do that unitedly, and we will see the greatest revival ever. Be blessed and have a great week. We're honored that you are with us today please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.